It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. We're delighted to welcome the Culture Secretary Oliver Dowden to the show now. Good morning to you. Oh, good morning. Sorry about that. That's some, all some right. Interrupts on that's, the line. that's all right. Too. You're a busy man. You're a busy man. Uh, <laughs> lots to talk about this morning. Let, let's talk first of all about what you're announcing this morning in terms of uh, more money from that £1.5 billion culture recovery fund to try and help some of the most iconic cultural venues across the country. Yeah, it's a really exciting day today. We've now passed a billion pounds being given to our great cultural institutions. And just to take a few examples, there's 20 million going to the Royal Shakespeare Company up at Stratford-on-Avon. There's uh, 20 million going to the Royal Albert Hall and to the National Theatre. This is about preserving some of the very best of our culture that gives us such force in the world. And in the process of doing so, we're actually securing 75,000 jobs and more in the supply chains. And also today, we're announcing the next phase of support, which hopefully will see us through to spring okay. and places to start to reopen to aid them in that process. Of course, there's a big concern that actually it's a lot of the not iconic, the smaller venues that serve smaller communities that actually are the ones who really are missing out, jobs being lost, people um, furlough some of them, but lots of people actually, even if their venue is getting help, uh, not getting paid themselves because, of course, they're freelance, they're self-employed, many of the, the three million so-called excluded. What sort of help are they going to get? Well, first of all, with smaller venues, they were the ones that actually got the money first. So we already allocated £500 million in grants to smaller venues up and down the country, 75, 70% of which was actually outside London. In terms of freelancers, just take an announcement like uh, yesterday. I was at National Theatre. They're putting on a panto there. That's providing uh, jobs for 70 freelancers. And of course, freelancers, whilst I completely understand how very difficult it's been for them, many of them can still access things such as the self-employed support scheme. Across the economy, 70-odd percent of freelancers are, are able to do so. But the only way we can really resolve this is to get full opening, and that's what we're working towards through next right, year. Well, talking of panto, we are very much in, oh, no, he isn't, oh, yes, he is territory when it comes to Brexit. The Prime Minister yesterday uh, told the Cabinet an emergency meeting uh, there was a strong possibility of no deal. He calls it an Australia-style deal. It is no deal to everybody else. Um, I understand you've been uh, suggesting this morning that you think that actually we could still be seeing a deal. Why do you think it is still possible? 
Well, what the Prime Minister warned us was that if we don't get that uh, deal, then uh, we would revert to WTO style rules, which are which is what Australia trades with the EU on. I think we're 90% of the way there, but two big blocks still remain. First of all, the EU are demanding control of our territorial fishing uh, waters. We, we can't accept that. No country in the world accepts that as part of a free trade deal. Secondly, they want to have a position whereby if they impose further regulations, we have to match those or face the consequences of doing so. Again, there's no free trade deal uh, in the, the with a major economy in the world that requires that. So that's why we're pushing back on those two things. But I still remain hopeful that in the remaining uh, days and hours, we could reach that deal because it's so much in the interest of both sides to do so. We both benefit from that uh, that free trade. So I hope at the 11th hour, we might still get a breakthrough. And the Prime Minister has certainly not ruled that out. That's why he's continuing to push on it. When you say we're 90% of the way there, we've been 90% of the way there um, for, a, I don't know, most of the last year and still not there. Um, at the end of the day, though, does the Prime Minister and do, does the Cabinet agree with Theresa May, the former Prime Minister, who said that no deal is better than a bad deal? If all that is on offer from the EU right now or up till the 31st of December is a bad deal, and you mentioned two of those big blocks on fisheries and the level playing field regulations, that actually no deal is preferable. Yes, the, the Cabinet have, was very clear yesterday, and we discussed this extensively. Whilst we want to get that deal, we should not accept the deal at any price. And those two two prices that I outlined are too high a price to pay. So if we can't get movement on that, we will have to uh, accept a situation where we have an Australian-style uh, trading relationship with the European Union. It is not as good in many respects as a, a Canada-style uh, relationship, but I'm very confident that over the medium and longer term we'll make a, a huge success of whatever we do as a country, as we always do. Oh, I was on Question Time last night, and one of the other guests there was Malcolm Turnbull, the former uh, Prime Minister of Australia, who was saying that actually this Australia-style deal ain't what it's cracked up to be, and actually there are lots of problems in terms of tariffs and lots of problems in terms of the red tape and the regulatory uh, work that they have to do to export uh, to the EU. Um, are you sure this is going to to be a problem free, especially as the British Retail Consortium have reported today, they believe supermarkets and by extent their uh, the extension their customers could be hit with a £3.1 billion annual extra bill on food and drink because of tariffs of more than 5% on 85% of food imported from the EU. I mean, are we prepared for this? Well, the, 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 there's a number of points there, Julia, if, if I could try and address e each one of them. In terms of the, uh, the points made by the former Australian Prime Minister, which, by the way, are not shared by other former uh, Australian <laughs> Prime Ministers, such as Tony Abbott and others, it, of course, I accept that it would be preferable to get a Canada-style deal. That's why we're still trying to push for it, uh, even to the, the last hour. In terms of preparedness, yes, we have put in over a billion pounds worth of money to prepare for it. But the, there are going to be challenges, whichever outcome, because we, whatever happens, we're leaving the single market uh, and the customs union, which we remained in during the transition period. There will be controls, for example, at the, the Dover border and so on. So that's, that's, uh, that, that is uh, baked in, as it were. In terms of uh, food price and costs, yes, but that applies both ways. So, for example, if you take... Um, that be we face um, uh, the be the be tariffs uh, potentially imposed, say on uh, British 
lamb, but equally the Irish export large amounts of beef to the United Kingdom, which would also be subject to tariffs. So again, is in both sides' interest to, to try and resolve this, even at the last minute. OK, let's also talk, if we can, about what's uh, going to be happening next week. On Wednesday, the government is going to have its first formal review of the new tier restrictions. Lots of talk about London, nine million people uh, moving from tier two into tier three. Of course, not only a massive impact on people's personal liberty and their, their ability to, to uh, socialise outside of their homes, but also uh, the ability of the hospitality industry to keep going. We're told 150,000 uh, jobs could go in hospitality as a result. Um, on what basis would London be moved back into or moved into tier three um, when it's quite clear from the actual data that we're looking at, uh, uh, the real time data, is that only seven boroughs uh, in, in London are seeing a specific problem. And in those we are not seeing over 60s being hospitalised. We're not seeing extra deaths. Why is this even being considered? Well, we, we always said when we announced the, the tiering, we said we review it uh, periodically to check each place is in the, the right tier. So if areas are progressing well and getting the disease under control, they go into a lower tier. But sadly, if um, areas are getting out of control, they go into a, a higher tier. As we approach the 17th, we'll examine all, all of the evidence. And you, you pointed to some of the things that we will look at, such as the number of over 60s with infections, the number of hospitalizations, the number of infections. I desperately don't want London to go into tier three for all the reasons you outline. But we have to be driven by the, the evidence of what's happening. And if it's appropriate, we would have to, to do that. But we are, you know, we are still, we'll consider the evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and and base our decision on that, as we will for every other part of England. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? Because when the evidence has been considered, what we've discovered repeatedly is that the evidence to go into the original tiers, the evidence to go into lockdown, and the evidence for the tiers we're in now has all been, almost without exception, either out-of-date data that hasn't shown the true picture of the direction of travel, uh, or it has been uh, completely false, I mean, utterly wrong, computer modelling, this talk of 4,000 deaths a day from COVID, wildly outside, and even Brazil's worst day uh, in in terms of, uh, of their, or India's worst day in terms of deaths from COVID. Um, there is a real concern that while we're told we're following the science, we're following a very, very narrow band of science that often actually isn't looking at the real data. We've been speaking to Tim Spector, Professor Tim Spector, uh, a professor in, in uh, epidemiology uh, at King's College, obviously the lead scientist on that Zoe app. They, their data has been incredibly closely shadowing what's actually been officially uh, found to be the case uh, from ONS. And he says there is not a case for London to be moved into tier three. And yet we're going to be seeing the mass testing of perfectly healthy secondary school age children across boroughs in London, also Essex and Kent, despite the fact that, you know, there is really very little case for that to happen. Well, I I would disagree with you on the the final point. I think there's a strong case for doing mass testing. And the reason for doing that is, and it's worth, I have to remind myself of this, one in three people that have COVID show no symptoms at all, but they are still very capable of spreading it. So if we have that mass testing, particularly in schools, we can identify the kids that have COVID and they can self-isolate and stop the spread. And that's how one of the factors that helped us get the numbers under control in Liverpool. And I think it is much, much preferable to have that kind of mass testing rather than have uh, restrictions across the board. 
Except in Liverpool. Again, we keep being told that the mass testing in Liverpool brought down infection rates. It didn't. Infection rates were already plummeting down two weeks before mass testing was brought in. Mass testing, if you actually look at the data of when it was brought in, actually saw a plateauing of those cases. I mean, we're constantly told we need to do this or that or this or that because that will make a difference. Whether it's a lockdown, we've seen what's happened with Wales. Whether it's a you know firebreak, a circuit break, we see what happens. Uh, and whether we do mass testing or not. None of these measures seem to actually show a clear um, evidentiary-based um, benefit from doing them, other than the basic measures of people socially distancing, uh, washing their hands and taking sensible precautionary measures. None of the evidence is there for closing hospitality, for closing schools or any of these things and, and going into lockdowns. And yet we keep doing it. When are we going to actually follow the science, which is actually proven rather than what someone might think? Well, um, I'm afraid I have to disagree with you on a, a couple of those uh, points. So in respect of Liverpool, testing was one factor, but another big factor, as you alluded to, was it going into tier three. Tier three does involve the closure of hospitality. And by and large, as we were going into the lockdown, numbers were rising, both in terms of people testing positive and the real numbers uh, in terms of, for example, people uh, in hospitals with COVID. As we've come out of the lockdown, we have seen a reduction in numbers. I desperately don't want to do any of these things. I'm acutely aware of the impact on people's livelihoods, their mental so, health and everything With all due else. respect, Mr Dowden, the numbers are very clear. The numbers in, 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 the, in the regions, that are, most regions in lockdown, before lockdown, they were going down already. That's official, that's official ONS and, and Public Health England data. Those were the ones that had the tighter uh, tier three um, restrictions. They were, were going were, down when were they were in tier two. They were going down when they were in tier three and they were going down before lockdown. This is the trouble. We often are, we're often saying that, that the, these restrictions, these measures are the reason why something happens. They can't be if those things were already happening before those measures and restrictions were put in place. They simply well, can't it, unless they own time machines. Well, it was the case that um, in respect of... of tier three it was working to start to get the the disease under control in those areas but in areas in tier two and we saw this in in many places they were starting to see rapid uh, rises i can i can assure you and your listeners the last thing that i wanted to do or other government ministers wanted to do was to impose restrictions on businesses that were not necessary i'm fully aware of all the damage they 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 online on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Um, right, let's turn our attention to what perhaps we can only dream of, and that is apparently a deal with the EU on trade uh, come Sunday night. That is the latest final deadline uh, that we've got for Brexit and a deal to be done over the EU and the UK ahead of December the 31st. I mean, we are just only 20 days away uh, from ending that transition period. But what is going to happen? Boris Johnson yesterday called an emergency cabinet meeting. He said there was a strong possibility of no deal and said we need to start preparing for that eventuality. Of he calls it Australia style, but it is no deal in any other terms. Well, let's talk to uh, former Director General of the CBI, a leading businessman and a keen Brexiteer, Lord Digby Jones, who joins us now. Good morning to you, Digby. Yeah, good morning, Good morning, good morning everybody. Um, do you think it is uh, now almost inevitable that we will see a no deal Brexit? Um, I, I don't think it's inevitable. Um, you you uh, put your tongue in your cheek when you said deadline on Sunday night. Um, uh, I, I, there's a degree of ennui, isn't there, about deadlines from the EU? Uh, it's this is this is the umpteenth deadline. So um, uh, the only rationale of this being the final deadline would be that if it is going to uh, be yes, we're having no deal on the 31st of December. There, we need business needs some time to prepare. Um, it's uh, so I think. There's a greater degree of inevitability to this one than before. Um, he he is re- reported, as uh, you said in your headlines, he's reported as telling his cabinet colleagues that the EU want to punish Britain. He's absolutely right. I mean, I, I, all the way through this, uh, and I've you know talked to a fair few people in, in Europe about this, there is a degree of wanting to punish us. There's a degree from some countries of envy that they, you know, that they they can't believe that Britain is standing up to them. They can't believe we're yeah. not submitting. I mean, a, and 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 the sad thing about this is it's all being polarised into now one side is going to win or lose, and words like win and lose and battle and punishment mm-hmm. and surrender, and and of course what what the, today there's a businesswoman in Dusseldorf. She's got a house on the line. She's got twenty people she's employing, and she makes bits for cars that go into Mercedes and Stuttgart and then get on a train, goes through the Channel Tunnel and they're sold in London. Now, that woman's job, her livelihood, is at risk because of all this. And I think they've just woken up in Europe to the fact that this is a two-way street. You know, that where do Germany make sell most cars that they make in Germany? Britain, more than America, more than China, it's Britain. Where do they make the biggest margin on their cars? Britain. What will be at risk on the 1st of January? All of that. And this is the key thing, isn't it? Is that when we talk about, you know, as you say, the win-lose, and again, in real negotiations in business, actually, you, get, you, you go for the win-win. Both sides benefit, and both sides would benefit from a free trade deal. There does seem to be this urge to sort of, to, you know, to, to make an example of us. Uh, but, but, but the key thing here is, if we do have uh, restrictions on trade, if we do have those tariffs, I mean, so be it. I mean, if we can't be agreed, so be it. Um, but it will actually be a tax. That's what a tariff is. It's a tax. It's a tax. 
That will hurt the consumers on both sides who have to face uh, higher taxes and higher product, higher product prices. Uh, it will also affect the producers and manufacturers on both sides who may well lose a lot of business, may well end up losing their businesses, losing jobs. Um, no, no one benefits from this. Everyone benefits from freer trade, which is why people try and strike free trade deals. They've struck free trade deals with Canada, with Japan. Uh, with, with other, well, I mean, it does take the EU a long time to strike a trade deal, normally seven years. We, we've managed to do about 20, haven't we, just uh, in, in the last few months alone under Liz Truss, the International Trade Secretary. But it seems to me that they are very much in a bid to punish us. They are cutting off their noses to spite their face. And I, I wonder whether the good people, the good consumers and workers of Europe will feel very kindly towards the European Union for doing that. Oh, you're, you're, you're spot on. And, and it's, been, it's becoming a domestic political agenda on both sides of the channel. So Boris cannot go to the now blue wall, used to be red wall in North England, who put his Tory MPs in on the basis of get Brexit done. He cannot go to Parliament where he's got a lot of his Tory MPs who are saying, come on, this is Brexit, and, and say, I, I, I'm, uh, I've given in. And Macron has chosen, it's Macron's own choice. The president of France has chosen to die on the hill of fishing. He's chosen to say, you will give me what I've already got, which is 90% of all the whitefish in your British waters. And it, what I don't, what we, by calling his bluff on that, on in three weeks, well, less than that, isn't it? It's two and a half weeks time. He, he, he's got 50,000 jobs on channel ports, which are over. Yeah. Because we will, you know, Britain will just say, "Get out, get out of our waters." And he, he I mean, I'm, I'm quite happy to have the gunboat sent in on that front. If, we, if we're well, going to, if we're going to play hardball, then let's play hardball. Our waters, international maritime law, no doubt about it. You don't send your trawlers into our water, but that's crazy. It's madness. And and when you saw two days ago, you know, the EU published this: if there is no deal, this is how we would suggest things go on for a few months while we sort out no deal. And, and it was about how do you get trucks through the ports? How do you get people through airports? Which is good stuff, absolutely right. But one of the things in this thing was it said, and we'll carry on fishing like we have been now. And they actually put it in the note. And Britain presumably told them where to stick it. Now, you know, at the end of the day, you, they, they really do believe that life can go on as it is. But it's a two-way street, this. And, and I think they're just waking up. If I may say, I think the song team is dropping. I think they've suddenly realised that, that they've got a problem. And by the way, we'll have a problem. I mean, I'm not, I'm not being gung-ho and saying it's going to be fine. But it's not nowhere near the Armageddon that people say it will no, be. No, indeed. What do you make of them? It's Remainers, people who voted Remain, I would say largely it's more Ramoners, people who never really accepted the result, who said this is going to be an economic disaster. You own, you know, you, you own it. You broke it. Your, your problem to Brexiteers like you and me. I mean, I, I was saying a little bit earlier on the show, there has not been a single day since I voted for Brexit uh, in June, God, all those heady days ago in June 2016, that the EU has done or said anything at any point that has ever made me question whether that vote was the right decision they've confirmed for me absolutely why i don't want to be a part of that club um but i mean it's a fair point for a lot of remainers to say well hold on a second you said we'd have a deal you said it would all be fine sunny uplands where are they you've got to take responsibility and take the blame for that what would you say to that well it's that again is a two-way street which is wait and see if you remember we were going to have death of the firstborn plague of locusts in the streets two days after the referendum results. So, and that never happened. I have great confidence, for instance, in the in 
the City of London, its ability and its innovation to trade with the world in financial services, which is a huge thing for Britain. And we, as you just said in, in, in one of your remarks, Julia, you know, we, we, whilst trade deals can take seven years, if there's a will on both sides, then actually you can get a trade deal in months. And we proved that with many countries in the last few months. So it just goes to show there isn't a will. Oh, there isn't a will. I mean, you know, if there was a will, then we'd be done. The deal would be done. Okay. You cannot you cannot say to a country, you are leaving, you're assuming sovereignty, that famous word, you're taking back control. Oh, but by the way, you're not really because we don't want you to compete with us. We want to fetter you. We want to punish you. So you're out there. And, the, and if you want access to my market, then you're going to be punished. And you can't do that if you've got a real will to have a good quality trade deal. And I, and I repeat, remember, this is about jobs in Germany and as, France. As well it's, as here. As just well as just well. finally, and briefly, if you would, please, Sir Digby, um, a report out from the uh, British Retail Consortium today has said that supermarkets and their customers, i.e. all of us, could be hit with a £3 billion annual food annual bill on top of food and drink if there is no post-Brexit trade deal. Uh, they say 85% of food imported from the EU is expected to face tariffs of more than 5% and that would put our food bills up by that amount. What do you say to that? that if if there was that tariff if, if it applied there are two ways that can happen in your supermarket yes supermarkets can load the price to pay for it or supermarkets absorb the price into their profits and they've done very well in the last few months online on dab and on the talk radio app talk radio more tributes just up flooding in for dame barbara windsor i mean actress but let's face it just all round a british legend uh, she of course played peggy mitchell in eastenders and of course a legend of the carry-on films as well she's died very sadly uh, late last night uh, of uh, alzheimer's she died peacefully in a london care home her husband scott mitchell uh, announced uh, in the early hours of this morning uh, well let's talk to now one of her really good friends uh, himself a showbiz legend christopher biggins who joins us now good morning to you christopher Good morning, Julia. Good morning. It's incredibly sad news, isn't it? And it, we, even on a day where people are discussing, you know, Brexit and, and COVID and all of that, there's no doubt at all there are some figures in our country who sort of, you know, just tower above others. And uh, Dame Barbara Windsor would be known by every generation in this country and loved by everyone as well. Everybody. I mean, she was a total inspiration. And also she was a kind good friend and i can say that safely having known her for i think i've known her for 50 years uh, i mean it, it's been amazing i mean she's she was always there for me always there for anybody you know she was such a good friend and scott i can i can't say enough about scott i mean what he's done for barbara over the last years has just been phenomenal i mean he's an extraordinary man and he's made her last days so special. And it was a proper um, love story, that relationship, wasn't it? There were lots of eyebrows raised because he's so much younger than her. But after her diagnosis with Alzheimer's in 2014, they didn't go public with it until just two years ago. Um, you know, he's been by her side throughout. Throughout, throughout, never moved. I mean, he's been just incredible. And he's a, a wonderful person too. So it is a very sad day. That we're losing, you know, I'm, uh, I'm losing such a good friend. I mean, you know, we've known she's not been well. Mm. But the, the reality is this morning she's gone. And that is just terrible. I mean, 
I'm off to do uh, a pantomime on uh, Good Morning, uh, this morning, yeah. uh, with Phil and Holly. And uh, so, uh, first of all, she was the queen of pantomime. I mean, she was absolutely the epitome of pantomime. She loved it. She loved the, the public uh, reaction to it. She loved everything about it. And that, that, that suddenly, and she, what she taught me was to be good to her public. Yeah, and that was very, very important. She had time for everybody. She, she actually became annoying sometimes because she would talk to people, and you were dying to get away, and she'd be chatting away and not realizing the time, or you had to go somewhere else. You're thinking I we're mean, trying to have dinner, love. Can we stop talking exactly, to the fans? Exactly, but this exactly, is it. Exactly, look, you, you and I, you know, we 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 know a lot of them. Well, you know, far more than me, but a lot of people in the showbiz world. There are people who are well known and and much loved who actually, frankly, behind the scenes are not really quite as nice as they pretend on screen. I have never heard anyone even, I mean, even say that, that, that Peggy, want, you know, uh, Peggy, say Peggy, Barbara Winsett, even given them a, a dirty look once. She, she seems to be loved by everyone who ever worked with her and everyone who's ever known her. She would do a whole restaurant. She'd go into a restaurant <laughs> and she'd talk to everybody in the restaurant. I mean, she was extraordinary. I went to uh, Venice with her and, and, and Scott and my partner one year. And uh, we just couldn't go. We couldn't walk around Venice. I mean, it was extraordinary. And even though she, you know, she was, she liked people talking to. She loved talking to the public. So she'd be walking along, and she'd go, "Hello, dear, how are you?" And she'd sort of encourage a conversation to happen uh, because she loved her public so much. I mean, her public was so important. To well, her. indeed, and they loved her back. Look, depending on your generation, there are lots of people who you remember her as Peggy Mitchell and EastEnders. I mean, you and I are old enough and enough to remember, obviously, from the Carry On films. I mean, I, I was just been saying all morning, I can still in my head, I can hear her giggle and her sort of see her running around topless, you know, uh, holding, hold, trying to cover up her dignity. And that's such an iconic image. But um, the public took her to the their hearts very early on very quickly she's even though she's not really a serious actor she wasn't seen as someone who was you know a great sort of plier of an art or a trade it, 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 in a way people underestimate how good she was because she was able to just um you know take you know take an audience to the heart and they would take her to heart i mean when you think about her early days with at stratford east mm-hmm. uh where she played the most wonderful roles which she took to new york yeah and conquered New York in those early days. I mean, it was extraordinary. Her career was extraordinary. I, I knew her when she was at her lowest, I suppose, where she was going down just before EastEnders and everything. And, of course, EastEnders took her into another level, which was fantastic. Uh, and up until then, she was finding it difficult and hard. Uh, but she was always up. You know, I, we did a lot of old-time musicals together. Um, and she was you know, I remember one of the wonderful stories. She, she was singing, The Boy I Love is Up in the Gallery. And I was playing the chairman. And she got some laughs. And she said to me, why am I getting laughs? And I said, it could be that when you sing that song, the boy on the spot keeps waving at you with a handkerchief. <laughs> and so she was very polite to the boy and said, would you mind stop doing that? I don't want laughs in this song. <laughs> and, you know, she was so... I, 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 I said, oh, there were so many stories. Oh, Chris, so many stories. it's so, so lovely to hear you talk about her, her so beautifully. I mean, very sadly, I um, died at 83, taken far too soon. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio.
Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.